your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. <coughs> we'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything trucking. Trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. I'm going to get to those questions in just a little bit. These hours do fly by when we only have one hour a night, so I'll get to as many calls and questions as I can. Uh, Something fun that I want you to join me on on Facebook. I've been really, really active on Facebook the last couple of months. Um, I've started a couple groups. One is the private group for the class I'm running, so I answer a lot of questions in there every day. I started a group that's open to anybody to help people understand all the new tax laws and how they affect owner operators and drivers. And I do my normal posting from news and those kind of things. And it's been keeping me really busy. And, you know, whether you're answering questions or trying to help people, there's always somebody who wants to fight or argue. So I don't really fight, but I will debate. And, you know, it takes time. I'm getting a little burnout again. I go through cycles like this on Facebook, but um, I, I love the format. I love being able, I, having one more way to reach out and help people. So I'm going to continue doing it, but I wanted to do something that's a little more fun on Facebook, something that shouldn't stir any kind of debate whatsoever. I, I've had what I consider to be an amazing privilege And I'm so grateful that I've been a small part of this industry for over three decades now. And Lisa, my wife, is amazing at taking pictures, and she's documented, you know, the last 10 or 12 years of it really well. All the events we go to, the CMC, the truck shows, the speaking engagements, and Lisa's always there taking pictures. And I was just scrolling through pictures. There's so many. I'm thousands. Thank you, Lisa. And I I just got thinking. I I would see people that maybe I haven't heard from for a long time. And I thought, I'm, I'm, one of the things I like to do, I've talked about this before. I like to start and end my day with gratitude. I like to take a couple minutes in the morning to be grateful for something. And I do the same thing before I go to bed at night. And I just got thinking, that I'm so grateful for the people I've met in this industry and everything I've learned from them and shared with them. And I'm going to start posting. We'll see how if I can stay on top of this or not. I think I can. I'm going to post a picture a day, one picture with people from the industry that I've met. And I'm not going to tag anybody or name anybody in the picture. I want you to do that. So I'm only going to put these posts on my personal page. Normally, I spread my posts all over in my groups, and it gets too hard to follow up on all of those that way. So for this, 
feature, I'm going to post one picture a day on my personal Facebook page. And I want you to go look at it. And if you recognize somebody in the picture, tag them. And I, I started this morning. So there's already a picture up. It's from a CMC a couple of years ago. There's probably 10 or 15 people in the picture. And people are already starting to tag. It's a lot of fun. So for me, it's a way to just start the day being grateful for all of the people I've met. So join me. Let's have a little fun with this. Um, it'll give me a little break from all the questions and debate uh, that I deal with on Facebook every day. So uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. Other than that, um, I don't have a lot to do. Well, I do. I always have a lot. But it's a short hour, and I want to get to your calls and questions, so we're going to jump right in. We're going to start off in Arizona. Derek, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. What can I help you with today? I had a couple questions for you. Um, recently, I kind of switched up what I'm doing. I used to be, like, dedicated at a lumber yard, and things were, you know, pretty similar week to week. Uh, now I'm doing a little more over the road and dealing with brokers and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I just had a question of, um, like, when I'm doing my profit and loss statement for the month, should I be putting my gross profit as, like, revenue that I've actually gotten in the mailbox, or should I be using the figure that I build for that month? Good question. Yeah, I do. And and what this is referred to officially in accounting is whether or not you're going to use what's called cash accounting or accrual accounting. I will tell you, always stick with cash. Accrual gets much more complicated, and you don't want to report your revenue that way to the IRS because then it really gets complicated. So at most companies will try to stick with cash accounting until they get so big that it makes more sense to move to accrual. But it, I, I pr- much prefer cash accounting. I had a uh, we had an internal accountant here at Let's Truck for a while that convinced me we should move to accrual and I hated it. And we ended up moving on and getting rid of that accountant, and I switched everything back to cash. It's just so much easier to understand. So under cash accounting, you account for things when they are physically in your possession, not when you bill them or charge them. So if you bill something, you just ignore it for now. I mean, you certainly send out an invoice, but, but, you know, I don't try to track – you know, on my profit and loss accounts receivable, and it, it just gets more complicated. And let me give you an example. So some people will say, this comes up a lot. Some people will say, I never got paid for this load. The broker stiffed me. Do I get to take a loss for it? Well, no, not if you're on cash accounting, because the simple way is if you were on cash accounting, you never showed that revenue anyway. So you don't have to try to... Yeah, yep. Yep. You, you just didn't show it, so you're never going to pay tax on it. But if you're on accrual accounting, here's where it gets really complicated. Let's say in you know, the latter part of a year, you send out a bill and you book that as income. Now the year ends, you file your tax return, it's showing as income, and then you never get paid. 
Now we have to go back and wait for the next tax year to show it as a loss. It, it's just way too complicated. It's too hard to read the financial report. So stick to cash accounting and book things into your accounting as they really happen, when you get the money, not when you bill for the money. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. And that's what I did before. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that's the way I should continue to do it because, you know, before I was only one week behind and the checks just came every week, just like a regular paycheck. And now, you know, they're all over the board. And I just wanted to make sure that that was still the the right thing to be doing. Um, Another question I had was on per diem. Okay. I've, I've never used it before when I've filed my taxes. I've never claimed per diem. Um, and I was just curious if I should or um, should a guy be, like, keeping track of the money spent when you're out on the no. road and doing that as itemized deductions, or is it no? no well, let, let me ask you this question, you and, and I already know the answer. Do you eat $63 worth of food every day you're on the road? Oh, gosh, no. No. Exactly. But that's the allowance the IRS actually gives us. They allow us to deduct $63 a day without a single receipt for food. So to keep all the receipts and end up with a much, much smaller deduction would just be crazy. So this is the per diem. I mean, most drivers and owner operators don't realize what a gift this is. Most drivers don't even spend a third of that every day. And yet we get to take this big tax deduction for money we didn't even spend. Okay. Yeah, see, that would work good for me eating in the truck like I do because then I really don't spend much money at all during the week. Absolutely. (laughs) You're probably spending 10 or $15 a day, and the IRS is letting you deduct 63. Now, here's what somebody's going to say. Somebody's going to say, oh, but wait a minute. You only get to deduct 80% of the 63, which is correct, which is $50.40. But if you kept your receipts all day and you ended up with $25 worth of receipts, you only get to take 80% of the receipts. So the math is the same no matter which way we do it. But I I wanted to clear that up because I know somebody will listen to this and say, oh, but it's only 80% of the per diem, which is correct. But it's only 80% of the actual expense if you decided to use that method. The per diem works every time. Like I said, it's really just a gift. We don't get many gifts from the IRS, so we take them. We're going to get to a break. We'll be right back. Stick around.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. I'm going to get right back to the phone calls. Let's head off to Alabama. Paul, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? Well, I took it upon myself to do some digging on the ELD and AORB exemption on the pre-2000 trucks. Okay, good. And I figured out why they exempted them. I got on FMCSA's website. They got a lot of information on there. So December 16, 2019 is when the, everybody has to be ELD compliant fully. The AORBs are exempt. Till then, if you have an ELD compliant device already. So what they're going to be capturing is getting down here it says engine synchronization engine power status vehicle motion status miles driven and engine hours automatically recorded data date time commercial vehicle geographic information engine hours vehicle miles driver and uh, authentication user vehicle identification motor carrier identification then it says EDL or ELD event data recording, engine power up and shut down, driver log, log in, log out, duty status change, personal use and yard moves. And then it's your certifying your driver and 60 minute intervals when the vehicle is in motion and malfunction of diagnostic event. So it sounds like they're wanting to capture engine hours and miles is the main thing. And I did notice when we first got ours turned on, they were doing heartbreaking events. Oh, yeah. And it would also <laughs> capture it. So yeah. it sounds like well, they're wanting to get more of the young data. Well, thanks for doing the hard work. I can work give and... a link out to anybody that wants to look that up. Yeah, go ahead and do that. It, it's fmcsa.dot.gov. And then they didn't use forward slashes. It's a right-facing B. I don't know what you would actually call it. And then ELDs, and then another right-facing Z, and then facts. Got it. And if you click on that link, it'll take you to some yellow tabs you can click on. One is find ELD events and resources. If you click on that, then it takes you down to training, webinars, and past events. You click on that, there's two links in there uh, that are regular, uh, like um, HTTPS links. You click on them, and it shows you that manual. It won't let you print it for whatever reason, the government. <laughs> it won't let you print it. You try it only once to print one page. So. Yeah. I think well, altogether there's uh, like 20-something pages, but it's got a lot of information on it. Yeah, well, thank you for doing the hard work, because as much as reading and research as I do, I hate reading government stuff like that. Now, let, let's take a look at, you know, how the government had to complicate everything. First off, you know, why do we need to record engine hours? That data is going to be completely meaningless. There's nothing we can do with engine hours. So... We can no the miles. I can see a capture in the miles, though. Right, but what's actually much more accurate today 
is just using GPS sensors for miles. GPS more accurate than any truck speed well, I've seen. Yeah, I think it's got something to do with the yard moves because if they're doing that geofencing, yeah, I, I'm technically not... they're not supposed to see the truck, right? But I... if they're tracking the miles, when you turn the key on, then they can tell how many miles you drove inside that geofencing, right? Yeah, but if we could do that with GPS again. I, the only thing I'm but in the deep... of all the things I heard you say, I they're think trying in that to geofencing, track. They can't see. You. No, they can. The GPS is is down to a couple feet now in accuracy. It used to be hundreds of feet. Now our latest GPS receivers are down to just feet. So they could measure through a GPS alone. They could measure every time we move a couple feet. Now what they couldn't get, I guess, is when the truck turned on. But who cares? What does the truck turning on have to do with anything with hours of service? I mean, I can turn the truck on and be in the bunk. I can, yeah, absolutely nothing. So, again, the government overcomplicated this. And we could go one step further. As far as I know, we could go all the way back into the early 90s and still be able to pull data out of the ECM that would show, show the truck started. I mean, Detroit ECMs go all the way back to the mid-'80s. I realize Cat and Cummins didn't catch up till uh, you know, the early to mid-'90s. But it, it just seems to me like they way overcomplicated this and created this kind of loophole that doesn't need to be there. And my fear is at some point they'll shut it off anyway and you have people running around buying trucks just to get this loophole. I can see the hours uh, uh, thinking about it. If you're out in California, let's say they pull up, you've been set in 10 hours, or any state they got anti-idle laws, if your oh. truck's not moved <laughs> and they show you've been idling that truck four or five hours, they're going to get you for idling the truck. Yeah, you're probably right. Right? Uh, yeah, you're probably right. But again... Uh, it's the government. Why would we complicate the ELD issue with trying to – no, I, I get it, and I think you're right. They could use that kind of data. Here's the thing. Look at our government enforcement. It's abysmal. They can't enforce hardly anything because they don't have the resources to enforce it. So now they overcomplicate this, and they're going to have a bunch of data that nobody's going to use. They don't have time to go use it anyway. So oh. – you know, I don't know why we just didn't no. keep this simple. It could have been done with a standalone device. Nothing needs to connect to the truck at all. Honestly, in today's world with the sensors we have, I guarantee you I could build a device that could tell when the truck turned on without being connected to the truck. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, I appreciate you you digging into that because I couldn't understand why we had the 99 exemption. But now that you read that, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the call, Kevin. Thank you. All right. Good talking to you. Let's head off to Delaware. Joe, welcome to the program. Howdy, Kevin. Got a mechanical question on one of your favorite trucks. All right, let's see what we can do. 2001 Volvo. Okay. 2001 Volvo DNL Series 60 Detroit. 
headed into the shop to replace a dump valve switch. When I got to the shop, there were three guys in my truck trying to figure out where in the heck they got an air leak somehow after they replaced the switch. After I got the truck out the next day, going down the road, started to apply my jake brake. No jake brake. I can't verify that it's all connected somehow with what they did inside the dash. But looking at all the wiring underneath there with the switch, I could not find a fuse or a relay going to the two jake brake switches. With the Jake Brake being inoperative now, what can I do to troubleshoot it any further? Wow. You know, troubleshooting this on your own is going to be difficult. The first thing I would say is you've got to have an electrical schematic for the truck because it's hard to tell where okay. some of the relays are. And you can waste – it's impossible to track a wire in these trucks. They run into huge bundles. There's no way yeah. you're ever going to figure it out. So you absolutely – have to have a schematic to start with. You know, this is one of those things okay. that, in, in my opinion, unless you have a lot of free time and you're good at this kind of stuff, <laughs> I, I would pay a shop. I, I've done this kind of work, and sometimes I've been successful, and many times I haven't. And ultimately, I'll tell you what, what has happened several times. If you have a schematic and you can track down certain points like a relay or a junction and then you can kind of identify that something must be wrong in between the two points, the easiest thing is just run a new wire. Because, again, getting things out of a bundle is impossible. So I, this is one of those where most of the time I prefer to give it to a good, there's the key word, good shop that knows how to troubleshoot electric or they'll kill you on hourly charges fumbling around because they're not any good at it either uh, my preference here is pittsburgh power because they didn't hire you know a bunch of diesel mechanics and try to teach them electronics they hired electrical engineers and taught them trucks and they're really really good at finding this kind of stuff Sometimes it's simple, but I, I worry that they were in there screwing around with stuff. And I've seen shops do things that are really hard to figure out after the fact. So, wish I had a better answer for you on that one. Let's, uh, let's get to a break off the back and get some more calls right after this. Stick around.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, well, never mind the number. We've got tons of calls. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to get right back to those calls. We're off this time to West Virginia. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. So so I blew it big time. Uh, I was leased to Landstar for three years. I had leased a truck before that, and I had an engine failure. I was working my way back from that. And last April, the truck started running bad one morning, and I went to move it to a shop, and it went from 500 RPMs to 3,500 RPMs before I could shut it down. And I was broke, so I had to go home with my tail between my legs and sell the truck for $5,000. I'm itching to get back, but over the last few months, you know, I, I dug through 500 pages of bank statements, and what I came up with was that Landstar wasn't the problem, the agents weren't the problem, the economy wasn't the problem. I was the problem. I had spending issues at home that I didn't want to deal with, so I just figured I'd work harder. And so that's what I did. Now, I was a revenue-making fool. I could go out and earn all the money, but it was like you know trying to fill up a five-gallon bucket with one-inch holes in the bottom of it. I could have put an ocean's worth of water in it, and, and it was never going anywhere. And so you know, I just I wanted – I want to get back. I've got to start over. I feel like I've got my mind right. Um, but, you know, I wanted to be able to say, if you are hearing me now and you need to make a change to your spending, to your saving, it's now, today, not tomorrow, because that time's not coming. Oh, well, when I get to there, everything will be okay. It's not coming <laughs> today, right. right now. If you got to make the change it's right damn now. So, Chris, first off, congratulations on figuring this out and being completely honest with yourself and then sharing it with other people because this is a critical business lesson. It, there's even a name for this, and I suffer from it. It's the curse of the entrepreneur. It, the The personality it takes to be a good entrepreneur tends to be a little on the overconfident side, especially when it comes to generating revenue. The curse of the entrepreneur is exactly what you just described. We sometimes ignore spending in the business and in our personal life because we are so confident we can over-earn the problem. We'll just go earn more. I've, I've suffered from this my whole life. And almost every entrepreneur I know suffers from this. When Every once in a while, I will meet an entrepreneur that is really good at the big picture and really good at details, and they don't have this curse. They are wildly successful. They're also really rare. Most businesses struggle like this, even, even when they get to millions of dollars worth of sales. You'd be surprised how many companies run on almost no profit because the business owners, the entrepreneurs, never learn to control spending. It's why over the years, I've been criticized thousands of times because I spend so much time talking about fuel mileage and maintenance cost and tire cost and personal financial you know, planning at home. And people say, Kevin... You've got it all wrong. You spend all that time on expenses. You don't talk about revenue. You're right. I don't. 
because everybody else talks about revenue. I don't need to. It's what everybody talks about. Oh, look, I make $2.60 a mile. Oh, look, I don't pull for less than 2 bucks a mile. Yeah, everybody's talking about that. And yet very, very few people are focusing on profit alone or even know how to calculate it properly. One of the big, you know, this is good timing for you to bring this up. One of the big changes we're making this year, even though I've been teaching it that way, all of the accounting systems on the planet don't work that way. All of the accounting systems on the planet, basically the the calculation is money comes in, expenses go out, and what's left over is profit. And that's how we look at everything. We're turning this whole thing on its head, and we're saying money comes in, profit goes out first. You have to figure out how much profit you want your business to generate, and profit goes out first. Taxes go out second. Then you get to pay the expenses. And people say, well, there isn't enough money left to pay the expenses. Oh, well, I'm glad we figured that out now, because if you don't figure that out soon enough, you'll be out of business. So congratulations for figuring that out. You will succeed the next time as long as you stick to that and and have the discipline to do that. Yeah, it's it's been, you know, I'm working five 12-hour days now making half of the money. And and I've got a good job with a good company, but I I miss the freedom. I miss the money. Uh, But but there's also part of it. I want another shot. I, I want to be able to go back in and take what I've learned. And, and go to it. While I've got you, one quick question. Uh, I'm going to tell you about a truck, and I just want to know if it makes you want to run like hell. Okay. 2009 Freightliner Columbia Series 60 yes. with a DPF. Yes, it already. Does that make yeah. you want to run? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, 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 am, I am not a fan of really any truck between 2004 and 2012. If I if somebody put a gun to my head and made me buy a truck during one of those years, it would have to be the DD15 or a DD13. There really isn't any other engine I would trust much in those years, and I it, I have a hard time getting excited about an 09 Freightliner with the Series 60. Okay, well appreciate everything you do. Um, I, I'm going to get another shot, and this time I'm actually going to follow your advice. So that that will probably help. I've listened to you for years, but it's amazing. Somebody can give you all the good advice in the world, but when you ignore it, you end up falling flat on your face. Oh, I've done it many times. I've ignored my own advice sometimes, and I fall flat on my face. That's really bad when you ignore your own advice. (laughs) Well, again, congratulations, and uh, those are the kind of lessons that will serve you well. They really will because... You acknowledged it. That's that that takes guts. It really does, and I respect that tremendously. That you didn't blame, and you don't blame it on anybody else. You realize that it was in your control. You understand your mistakes, and that means you're not going to repeat them. That's why it's such a powerful lesson. Let's go to Utah, Dustin. Welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, thanks for taking my call. I got a question about a rear-end ratio. What should I be tying to this uh, DD, DT12 overdrive? I run really slow. It's uh, just a little short haul back and forth from southern Utah to southern Nevada, so 800-foot elevation difference. 
Um, my thoughts were something pretty tall. <laughs> yes. Something really tall, like a 250-something, but the salesman absolutely hates the idea. That's um, because... But I would just be running the truck in 11th gear. Yeah, that's because the salespeople don't understand the physics of gear ratios. They They fall into the exact same problem that even veteran owner-operators and people who are really good at mechanics, they just miss this whole point. The, they are so brainwashed to only hear the gear ratio, the, the rear-end gear ratio. That's all they hear, and they make a judgment based on that number. You, you can't make a judgment based on that number. You get it because you, you know. You said you're going to run it in 11th. The, the whole thing is the, these people will claim you're going to lose power with that high gear ratio. It won't pull. But, again, they're missing the point. In fact, it's the exact opposite. When we run in a direct gear, we put the most power to the ground because we don't lose any of that power through the drive line and the gearing um, loss that we have and the oil churn and all those other things. So, you know, this makes me crazy when people say this, that, oh, no, you can't use a 250 or a 264. It'll fall flat on its face. No, that's why we have 12 gears. You know, to take the extreme, a 264 in first gear will pull really well because the 264 has – it's only part of the equation. And I'm just – shocked by how few people in the industry understand the whole thing. It just happened to me again. Somebody tried to make some derogatory comment about how stupid I was because I told people to spec 264s and it won't go up a hill. And I just have to laugh and shake my head that they're calling me stupid when they don't understand the equation. So there's the music. That was a long non-answer. Let me come back right after the break and give you the answer, or at least help you with it. We'll be right back. Stick around. Kevin Cosby. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the calls. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. We are going back to Utah. Dustin, he's still with me? 
Yeah, still here. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I would be in that 250, 253, you know, 264. There's so many new ratios around and different axles now, but I, I would be somewhere. I wouldn't even be afraid of anything like a 243 or a 247. Um, you give up a little bit in startability, but it's not that big of a deal. You run in direct, which is your most efficient. If you ever need to go a whole lot faster, you've got one more gear. I just think that's the ideal way to spec a truck. Okay, perfect. That's what I'm going to go with. So you would recommend 250-something, and I would be great with that one. Yeah. Yeah, if you can find anything in that 250 range, okay. I think it'd be ideal. And if not, I'd go de- you know, up to 240s or down to 260s. And anywhere in that range, you're going to be fine. Okay, because he's telling me 250 is about the lowest I can or tallest I can absolutely go, and he's just scared to death of it. But <laughs> he obviously doesn't understand he does, you know, yeah. what you're talking about. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, super singles, I guess, still a good idea. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I still love them. Okay. Lot, okay, perfect. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Lots of advantages to the wide singles. Let's go to Kansas. Mark, welcome to the program. Mark, are you with me? Who are you talking to? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear my name. Okay, there you go. It's your turn. Okay, thank you. Uh, first off, just a quick comment. Your intro music is eerily familiar to 70s pornographic <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. What just is... had to say that because every time I hit, not that, not that I've ever watched one. Well, of course but not. But just if anybody was wondering what it sounds like, that's what 70s porno music used to sound like. Anyhow, a uh, quick question about commercial credit. I uh, bought a truck last year from uh, a company that you're affiliated with. I'm very, uh, I guess you could call me anal about my credit. And uh, it's through their finance company or in-house financing, whatever. Um, And looking at my credit report, it's non-existent. It's not there at all. I mean, I've been with them since May. Okay. Um, and I haven't asked them about it, but I was just curious as if you knew anything in regards. I mean, yeah, commercial I should still show up on my personal credit. Yeah, because whether it's commercial or not, we all sign for our commercial loans personally. You know, that that's one of the fallacies. Right. People think, oh, if I form an S-Corp, you know, I'll get, commercial, I'll get corporate credit. It, it, that's bullshit. You, you don't. I, you know, I've, you can have a, right. you can have a company making $10 million a year in sales. And if the owners want to borrow money, they're going to sign personally. That's just the way it goes. You've got to get really, really big before anybody actually gives credit to the corporation itself. But what you're dealing with is a different issue. What you're dealing with is the fact that there, there are no laws or requirements that anybody that lends money reports to a credit reporting agency that, that it's not required it, it, well, it companies do it right because right. well let, let me explain because this is the whole issue to belong to a credit reporting agency is expensive you pay a lot of money to those companies to belong to them 
And if you don't use their reports to score the credit you're about to give, then there's no point in paying all that money. So they, if they don't pay the money to be a part of that credit reporting agency, then they don't report anything. So as far as anybody knows, that your loan doesn't exist. I mean, all you could do if you wanted to prove it to somebody is, you know, print out any documentation you have, contracts and, you know, a payment history, but it, it will never have carry that same weight as a credit report does. No, and that, that's what I was concerned with because, I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have exceptional credit, but I can, be, I can almost guarantee you if I didn't have good credit with them, they would report it. But the no, fact they, that they're not they, reporting no, it. No, they won't. That's what I'm saying. Many of these companies in the trucking industry that offer financing and leases don't report anything. If they were going to report bad information, they would report good. They can't report because they're not a member. That that's what I'm trying to say. It's not that they're being picky about what oh. they about what they report. They don't report anything. So I've tried to tell people many huh. times they'll I'll say, Why did you finance this way? And they'll say, Well, they were they were willing to finance me and I want to build my credit. And I'll have to point out to them. You're not going to build any credit. They don't report to agencies. Right. Well, no, I like I said, I have, I mean, 800-plus credit score. Oh, well, then. And when I went to them. You, you know, technically, if, you know, they, if they were to report this, it could more than likely lower your score, not raise it, even if you have absolute perfect on-time payments. Because credit score calculations are incredibly complicated. They have so many factors feeding into No, and, and I, I'm aware of that, but I was a first-time commercial credit oh, yeah. you know, well, person as far you're, as buying a truck. You're, you're gonna I be, mean, I went, in, I, went in with absolutely, I went in with absolutely perfect credit with 820-plus credit rating. I put a big down payment, the whole ball of wax. Well, because I don't have any commercial credit to show, that's why, now, you know, I went with them. But, I, I mean, in the future, if I want to go in and buy a vehicle, it's like, well, what commercial credit do you have? You don't. Well, uh, I bought this <laughs> truck here. Yeah. I don't have anything because they're not reporting anything. Correct. Technically, you're still a first-time commercial buyer the next time. But, like I said... You could, and and this is where, you know, if you work with smaller banks or smaller finance companies, you could print out your contract, print out your payment schedule, you know, show that it was a commercial vehicle. You could show your lease or, you know, your anything about your operation, and you could say, look, I get it. It wasn't reported. Here's why. Here's the company. They don't report to credit agencies, but I have all the records. So, it, again, it's not as strong as having it on your credit report, but it, but companies can still look at that and get it. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that you bought a commercial vehicle and you paid it off in time and your payments weren't late. Right. Yeah, because I, 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 I'm really not happy with the finance company uh, 
for different reasons that are irrelevant. But I, I was I was wanting to go to a bigger institution to refinance it to get a lower rate. But I, I don't know that I'll be able to do that. No, uh, you can always try. And again, just, I, when I when I went in. When you go in to look at refinancing this, I would have the original contract. I would have all your payment history from the bank. I would have a profit and loss statement for the business. I would have tax returns. And you may be able to get this done. I mean, you're you're not quite a first-time buyer. Let's go to... Florida this time. I've got time to... You know what? I don't have time. Um, I just looked at the clock. I'm down to about uh, a minute left, so not enough time to get another question in. A uh, couple things. If you haven't downloaded our app, I want you to do that. It's a. We have a couple apps, but our most recent app is called Audio Road. It does one thing. It does it really well. You open up the app. It's free, by the way. You download it free, open it up, and you can listen to all of our shows. Nice and simple. Doesn't do anything else, really. You can listen to our live shows on the weekends. You can listen while we're recording. You can listen to all of our past shows. You can listen to the Power Hour, Destination Health, our tax shows, the show I do once a month with Larry Wingett. They're all there, and you get to listen whenever you want. So here's the easiest way to find the app. Just do a Google search for Audio Road app. Audio Road is one word, A-U-D-I-O-R-O-A-D. If you do a Google search for Audio Road app, the first two links that come up, the first one will be Android, the second one will be um, Apple, iOS. Download it, and there you go. Nice and simple. You don't have to subscribe to things or follow things or figure out complicated podcast apps. Just open up our app and listen to our show every Thanks for joining me. We'll see you back here next time. Be safe.